The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the 27th episode of the Keep or Cut podcast, a fantasy baseball podcast focused on all things Keeper League and odd new and a proud member of the Pitcherless podcast channel. I'm joined here as always by my co-host Chad Young, who's been putting in work lately, especially that solo pod with episode 26. And we also have a special guest. Our special guest today is a prospect expert. You've probably heard of him before by the name of Chris Clegg. Chris has done work for popular websites, SB Streamer, Roto Fanatic, currently writes for Fantrax, where he specializes in all things Dynasty and Prospects. Part of his duties at Fantrax also includes co-hosting the famous Fantrax Toolshed podcast with Eric Cross. It's a favorite podcast of mine. You should pause the podcast right now, open up Twitter, and follow him if you are not at at Roto Clegg. That's C-L-E-G-G, two Gs. Chris, we're so excited to finally get you on the show. Welcome aboard. Oh, man, that was a fantastic intro. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I am Stoked to talk about prospects. Anytime we can chat about baseball, it's always a good time. And, you know, especially talking about minor league prospects, it's going to be a great night. And I am really looking forward to the show. Awesome. We're excited to have you, Chris. And, and one of the first things I noticed when I was like, man, we got to get Chris on the show is one of the reasons why is because our Twitter pictures, I think we're the only two people in fantasy baseball who are in blue suits with bow ties on. It's fantastic. Yeah, I it's love like, it. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. I probably need a new Twitter picture. Like I've had that for you know, several years, but it's just like, I don't like have a lot of good picture of myself. So I've just kind of kept it and rolled with it. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of the thing, the bow tie thing is like, a lot of people know me as like the bow tie guy on Twitter, but Hey, love it. <laughs> yeah, man, that that's your thing. Let's roll with it. Chad, you went solo last time. Are you happy to have me back? I'm very happy to have you back. It was, uh, <laughs> I think I went about 25 minutes. That's, you know, 25 minutes after I edited it down, right? So it was just me talking to myself for like 30 <laughs> minutes, whatever it was. I put out a, a feeler to some folks. It was just like, was that a waste? Did you guys hate that? Was that like the worst thing you've ever listened to? And no. I got mostly decent feedback. So maybe we'll do it again in the future when, when one of us can't be around. But man, it's way more fun when there's people to talk to. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we're a team, man. So Let's dive in. First of all, you know, Chris, the last episode of the Fantrax Toolshed was was kind of a review of the trade deadline from a p- prospect perspective. Certainly a lot of prospects switched hands. I think a lot of prospects that people didn't expect to move ended up moving. So I'm going to turn this over to the two of you guys. Let's start with talking about pitchers. 
who's one prospect or just like a young arm in general. And, and one that I thought of was Spencer Howard, but he pitched today and, he, and things didn't go so well for him. But who's one pitcher you, you're excited to see pitch for his new team? A, a young pitcher, not like, you know, Jose Berrios or, or Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say Jesus Cesardo. And you know, we chatted a little bit about him before the show coming on air. And, you know, you had mentioned a trade that you had made regarding him. And I think this is a huge move for his value. I absolutely love him coming home to Miami. You know, Miami's home for him. And, you know, getting to pitch in your hometown with your family there, I feel like it's a, a great move for him. And he struggled. It's There's no way around it. I mean, he's been pretty rough this year. I think you can kind of discount a lot of that, though. He's pitched on and off, pitched out of the bullpen some, you know, pitched started seven games this year, only 43 innings. And, you know, at one point last year, you know, he was a top, 15 prospect for me like he was one of the top pitching prospects in baseball and I think we're so quick to like forget about how talented he was and how well he performed in the minor leagues and we're so quick to jump off board but I think Lazaro is going to rebuild some value like he's still a top 100 dynasty guy for me and I think he's going to be incredibly valuable in Miami and you look at that rotation of arms and people are even talking like oh he'll just be a bullpen guy like but that's not the case like the Marlins wouldn't have made that trade if, if he was just going to be stuck in the bullpen. And so one notable thing that he did in his first start at Miami, it, it wasn't the best start by any means, but he was using the two seam, which is was his best pitch in my opinion. And he used to use it a lot more. And you know, he's been four seam dominant, but he kind of flipped that switch and you know, sinker two seam mix there, and it made a big difference. And I think using the four seam less is actually a good recipe for success for him. So I'm excited to see moving forward what they do with him. And, you know, the, his changeup's pretty elite anyway, and Miami's great with that. So they get that pitch back on track, which it's been a pretty poor pitch this year for him in general. So he gets that changeup back and, you know, throwing that consistently. I think Lazardo's back on the rise. So I think it's a perfect time to buy in on him. That's a really interesting call and the call out on his his fastball usage and switching more to the two seam because the first thing that came to my mind when that trade got announced is Miami sees something, right? My immediate reaction was they must see something. They've been watching tape of him. They've been watching his starts and they see something that they think, hey, if we could fix this, he's going to go back to being what he was. And that kind of pitch usage, I mean, it could be as simple as that, right? They may believe, hey, if we just tweak the pitch usage, get him throwing the two-seamer a little more. Maybe that's all it takes. One start is not enough to to, to make any calls on that yet. But I, I'm really watching closely to see, does he make other changes like that? Do they end up making any changes to his mechanics? Maybe even more in the off-season than right now, right? I mean, I think you know the fact that they threw him straight into the major league rotation tells me that they don't want to make major changes right now. If they did, you'd think they would have... He was already in the minors. You could have left him in AAA for a little bit to work some stuff out. So I think we're not going to see major changes right now. Pitch mix, it seems like a relatively easy one, but I'm super intrigued to see what he looks like coming into spring training next year and have they sent him off in the off season to go tweak something, to rework part of his mechanics, something like that, that they think might help. Because I, I, I just have to believe there's something they see that they think they can fix. 100% agreement. Right. I mean, I, Chris wrote, wrote the point that this was like the number two pitching prospect in baseball just like a year ago. And his major league experience until this year was was pretty good. It wasn't amazing, but he wasn't as bad as he was this year. I think it was a perfect scenario where Miami found a seller's market, had a piece that they needed to move. And Oakland, like, they probably still like Lazardo, but 
they have to shoot their shot. They're they're not a team. They're like they're in it and and they got to go for it. So yeah, yeah, I, li- I like the Lazardo pick. Chad, what about you? Is there a hitter that got moved? A young hitter that you'd like to see start with their major league team soon? Yeah, I mean the the guy I'm looking for from a bat perspective is Kiebert Ruiz moving over to the Nationals. He's a guy who, boy, a year ago, two years ago, I wasn't really sure how much the bat was going to develop. I'm I'm not a prospect guy, right? So I'm not a scout. So I was just sort of looking, you know, scouting the stat line and there were things that were good. There were things that were bad. I don't know. I wasn't sure he'd ever really develop into an impressive hitter. This year, he's been an impressive hitter. He's been just absolutely crushing the ball, but he was, and he was just super blocked in LA, right? Will Smith's not going anywhere. Austin Barnes between the fact that the team clearly likes him and that he's got the relationship he does with Kershaw, like they had their catcher spot locked up. Nothing was changing. He could have put up the greatest AAA season in baseball history, and he was still going to be stuck there. And so I'm super excited to see that trade. Glad to see that Jan Gomes also got moved because it means there's an opportunity for him pretty soon. And I think, I don't think he's up yet, but I expect he will be before too long because he's ready. He's, he's probably been ready for a while now, uh, but he certainly is ready now. And the Nationals have no reason not to give him a shot. We didn't, we didn't talk about him when we talked about pitchers, but Josiah Gray going over there, same thing, getting sort of unblocked by that Dodger rotation. I think the Nationals made some really good moves here, and I think they're going to be able to turn that team around pretty quickly. I mean, they've, they've got, you know, as you start to look towards next year, they've got some good pieces, and maybe they can find some money to spend to, to supplement. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and even more exciting maybe for the Nationals is, is Kiboom starting to hit as well. So all of a sudden, if all those young pieces, Ruiz, you know, Gray pitched well, you know, mo- mostly well. It was a fine outing, his first outing with Washington. You know, that that is definitely an organization that could turn around quickly. That's the type of move. If you move, to be fair, if you move Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, you better be able to turn it around pretty quickly. So Yeah, but I think you look, you look at that team, and if they've got Ruiz, Josh Bell is starting to hit. You got Luis Garcia, who's been who's been doing pretty well since they've given more time. Keyboom's starting to hit. You still got Juan Soto on that team. Like, there's a lot of good, interesting pieces there. I'm intrigued. Their their farm system doesn't have a ton coming up, but they've got some good pieces in place. I'm, I'm really interested to see just where they go from here. Yeah. Chris, any thoughts there on Ruiz? Yeah, and he's one that, you know, I was lower on. I'm not particularly high on catchers for fantasy purposes, but, you know, he's come around to me a lot this year. He made a swing change this past spring to really tap into some more power, and he's always been a great contact hitter, and now he's really tapped in that power more, and I think it's going to be exciting for him. And like you mentioned, there's nobody really blocking him. So I'd love to see him get his shot. And they've given Gray the chance. Like, I, I just want to see them bring up Ruiz. Let him run with the job, man. See what he can do. So he's definitely one that I'll be watching. He could be a very valuable catcher for fantasy purposes. So I, I like that pick a lot. Yeah, because we're, we're looking long-term, obviously, if we're talking about a player like Ruiz, often there's talk about younger catchers that can really swing the bat of like, yeah, eventually he's going to go to first base. Has anybody heard any of that kind of talk with Ruiz or is he through and through a catcher? He's one that I think will stick behind the plate. Nice. Wow. Okay. So he'd definitely be a target of mine in dynasty leagues. So let's start by talking about some strugglers focus is on young. And I, I don't, I hesitate to use the word prospect because there's a few guys we're going to talk about that are no longer, I guess, prospects, but certainly fit the bill of being young pieces transitioning away now from the trade deadline. So Chris and fan tracks tool sheds last episode, you said something that was like, it was shocking to me. And it's not that I disagreed with it because I don't see how anybody could disagree with it. But you have Matt Manning outside of the top 100 fantasy prospects, which like, I mean, we just we just said Mackenzie Gore and, and Jesus Lazardo were one and two a year ago, right? Feels like Matt Manning was was number three. 
I could be wrong in that, but if memory serves me correctly, he was number three. So what's going on there? Is there, what happened? I wish that was easier to, to say, man, like he he was, I mean, he was right there. He was like a, a top 30 overall prospect, like a top three to four pitcher for me. And, you know, love the stuff. He developed really well. And he was a guy that he was a big time basketball player in high school. So focusing on baseball alone, he developed really well on the mound and, you know, loved everything I saw from, you know, the great arsenal with the fastball curve and change up in the minors. And he just really struggled. And part of me wonders if he's trying to throw too many pitches at this point, because he's added a slider, he's throwing a sinker, he's throwing a four seam with that curve and change up. And sometimes when guys do this, it just becomes a little too much. Like we've seen guys like you Darvish struggle at some points because I think he's trying to do too much with those pitches and Manning. I almost wish he'd just kind of tone it back a little bit. And with his fastball, it's taken a little bit of regression from a velocity standpoint. Like he was one as a prospect, easily plus fastball, and that's regressed. I mean, his velocity right now, this season has averaged 93.2 miles an hour. He's gotten hit pretty hard with it. And the weird thing is he just stopped getting strikeouts. Like it's quite bizarre to see what he's doing. He's just got a 11.6 K rate and a 7.6% walk rate. It's very strange to see because he was always a high strikeout guy in the minors and we we've known him to struggle with command from time to time, but even still, you know, he was a guy in to 2018 and 2019 that would have a walk rate of between like seven and 9%, which is pretty reasonable in today's day and age. And the arsenal hasn't been working for him. And, you know, especially when his best pitches are, are not there, then he's going to falter. And I think a lot of it comes from just his location first off. And I wonder if that's just, being young and having nerves, but he's not locating his pitch as well at all. They're kind of all over the board. He's leaving a lot over the plate and he's getting hit hard. And so that's kind of been the killer with him and allowing home runs, not gathering strikeouts. So it's tough. I mean, when you see a guy regress like this, there's question marks as to why. And he's still young. I think he can come back around and develop. But at this point, like I think his value's taken an extreme hit because at the same time, like, Everybody thought he was ready last season. And you know, we saw Detroit bring up Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, but Manning didn't come up, and there was reports of his struggle at the alt side. And this is a similar case to Mackenzie Gore with when both these guys have struggled for basically two years now. And a lot of people – I've taken flack for that because I've dropped both those guys out of my top 100 prospect rankings. And people say, well, why haven't you done that for Kelnick? Because, one, Kelnick hasn't struggled at AAA, and you know he's finally coming around the major league level. But for these guys, they've struggled for two years now. And so at what point do we expect them to turn it around? And that's the question mark of, you know, when will they come around? I don't know. But at this point, their value, especially Manning, has has taken a big hit for me. So kind of off of them at this point. And I think if you own him, you almost have to hold on to him. You can't really sell low. Like same thing with Gore. I would just I would keep them rostered if you could, but I'm not really looking to sell low and hope that they rebound and recoup some of this value. The thing that with Manning that I think gives me a little bit of hope is what we've seen happen with Tarek Skubal this year, right? The Tigers have obviously done an excellent job, whatever it was they did with him, right? He went off. I know he went to driveline in the off season. He came back with a new pitch. They actually got him to get rid of that new pitch and go back to his old changeup and whatever they've been doing with him, like it's, it's clearly working. I mean, Scooball's not an, an ace by any means at this point, but he is headed more that direction than it looked like he was when he first came up. There's something that they've been able to figure out with him. My hope is that they'll be able to do the same thing with Manning, 
we'll have to see. I, I've always really liked Scooball more than Manning. And so I'm I'm not confident, I would say, that, that Manning is going to turn things around. But it seems weird to say it because Detroit isn't exactly, you know, a, a model franchise when we think about franchises developing prospects. But what they've done lately, I think there, there's some reason to believe that they can help a guy like Manning turn it around. If I'm a Manning roster, I'm not concerned about the 5.59 MLB ERA where it felt like based on how it was going in AAA, why were they even calling him up? And he threw 50% fastballs and just got hammered. Like Chris said, he was leaving it over the heart of the zone and got destroyed. But like Chris was alluding to it, it <laughs> he hasn't performed at AAA. That's the an ERA over eight. So, I mean, I agree I with both. I think I think I kind of trust, I guess, which is crazy to say, like Chad was saying, Detroit to help him out. And I, I think he will improve. At the same time, I, I I don't know what you do in keeper and dynasty long term. I, I guess you know, like you said, you can't sell this low because you can't get anything. But it's a it's a sticky situation. Transitioning to another AL Central team near and dear to Chad's heart, he pitched today and he pitched pretty well against a great offense. But Chad Tristan McKenzie, like this is my thing. He pitched well today, but I feel like next time out he's going to give up eight earned runs. He's just having such a weird season. Like it's it's one step forward, two <laughs> steps backward every time he takes the mound. What's going on with him? Yeah, he did. I mean, if you look back, he 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 got sent back down for a little while. And since he's been back and July 9th was his first start back, his earned runs, just to use one number, zero earned runs, five earned runs, two earned runs, six earned runs. He gave up three tonight, but, you know, giving up three to the Jays in, in their park. I mean, it's basically a no hitter. He, he, he hung he hung a pitch to Bo Bichette and like that's going to happen. Right. And, and then Bichette got him again for an RBI single. The big thing with McKenzie that I'm really, really intrigued by, since he's come back up, his walks per start, one, 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 three against the White Sox, and then zero tonight. If you go back to the beginning of the season, he was given up four, I mean, it was four walks, two walks, four, 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 three, five, three. Like He was walking a ton of guys early on. My understanding is part of the reason they sent him down was to work on not doing that, right? It's like you can get away with hanging a breaking ball to Bo Bichette once in a while if there aren't a bunch of guys on base for him to bash in when he hits the ball 475 feet. So if you can avoid those walks, you can get away with those other pitches. And he really seems to have made some change. And it may just be a matter of approach. Like he may just feel more confident. He's attacking hitters. Cleveland's had a history of of working with pitchers to just tell them to do that and have it make a big difference. I mean, that Carlos Carrasco is sort of the original case of that, where they sent Carrasco to the bullpen and said, stop trying to, you know, stop trying to work counts, stop trying to like be fine with your pitches, just go out there for one inning and blow people away. And then when he went back to the rotation, they said, now do that again for six innings. <laughs> like just keep doing that. And it seems like they're going a similar route with McKenzie, where it's just like, trust your stuff, go after these guys don't nibble and and see how it works out. And, you know, the results have been up and down, but I think if he can keep those walks down, he, he's got a huge ceiling still, huge. Ceiling. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I Yeah, that's very notable because you look at the overall season line and the walk rate of 16.8% is pretty atrocious. But like I said, since, since July 9th, that's come down and it's around 5% now after this last start. So that's really big progress. It's also interesting to see the strikeouts down a little bit. So I wonder if he's kind of just focusing a little bit more on that command and commanding his pitches and trying to control them a little better. So, you know, not walking as many guys, but yeah, he's, he's an interesting pitcher and 
you probably watch them a lot more than I do as as a Cleveland fan, but it's tough to know like which which guy are we going to see every start, and you know it makes it tough to buy in on. But you know the progress has been good at least, and hopefully this continues. If this trend continues, then I think there's a lot of upside here, and he's a, he's a very talented pitcher. Yeah, I think as, as a Cleveland fan, my hope is that the rest of this season is his opportunity to get that straightened out, get some consistency, get himself to a place where you can count on him to be good every time out and that he hits next year ready to go and just hits the ground running. As a fantasy manager, what that means for me is I don't know that I can rely on him this year, right? He's not a guy that I want to count on every time out. And it's not always easy to tell. I don't know. I mean, you look at his last few starts is he had a bad start against Houston and a bad start against Chicago. Both of those on the road in in tough pit places to pitch. His good starts were against Tampa Bay and Kansas City at home. And he had sort of an okay start today at Toronto. You know, it may be a simple case where like he's going to beat up on bad offenses, and at least then you can stream him, use him. You know, in a, in a deeper league, you can put him out there when he's facing a team you you can feel confident with. But right now, I don't. He's not a guy I want to be relying on every time out as a fantasy manager. But my hope is that by this time next year, he will be. My only concern with McKenzie, because I, I, I think his stuff is nasty. <laughs> like, I, I think he's going to be a pretty solid pitcher. But you look at the the placement maps, I mean, his fastballs are all up. And then I look at the ground ball percentage, and he generates, like, no ground balls. I mean, th- this just sounds like a horrible recipe. This dude is a, like, full-through fly ball pitcher. If I, as a fantasy player, if I see him start to generate more ground balls... I'm going to start buying. But until then, I'm going to kind of stay off. I, I just think he's too erratic at the moment. I wanted to compare him to three different guys, and we can kind of cruise through these really quickly. We're talking keeper leagues, and I think there's some interesting names here to compare him to because although these two of these guys had a lot of pedigree at one point, we've already talked about both of them. I think all three of these kind of compares. Like We have no idea what the next three years of these guys' career is going to look like. So the first one is a player near and dear to my heart. He is one of the faces of keeper cut. Would you guys rather... We'll start with Chad, Tristan McKenzie, or Tanner Houck in a keeper league. Right now, I think I'd rather have Houck, assuming he's staying in the rotation. Long term, I think McKenzie's got a higher seat. Yeah, I echo that completely. You know, I like Houck. I believe in the upside, but you know, I want to see him just get consistent starts. He's been excellent. You know, when he's got the starts with Boston, but I just want to see it consistently. You know, he's only had seven career major league starts, so we'll see. I think the next probably this year and probably next year I'd lean Hulk, but I do think if McKenzie figures it out, I, I do lean that way for for upside purposes. That's okay. Sometimes on keeper cut we're wrong, and uh, when Tanner Hulk wins his sixth Cy Young, you know, seven years from now we'll we'll revisit this pod. Uh, Tristan McKenzie or Jesus Lazardo? Yeah, that one's Lazardo by a pretty long shot for me. Yeah, I'm not even going to argue with that. Even as a Cleveland fan and a guy who who was super excited about McKenzie Lazardo. That pedigree is still there, and I think he's in a really great place to get it figured out, so still lose All right, then if it's by pedigree, this should make this last one kind of interesting. Matt Manning or Tristan McKenzie? Chad? I don't know. I, I think I might have I, <laughs> I might have been convinced by Chris about 10 minutes ago <laughs> that I should go with McKenzie here. For some reason, I always had a concern that, that Manning was, not that he was going to burn out or crash or bust or whatever, but that that possibility was there. And so I'm not horribly surprised that it happened he's not done by any means i still think he could turn around but if i had to guess which one of these two guys is more likely to be giving me solid fantasy starts 
next year, I would say McKenzie. Fair. All right. So, Chris, I'm a Red Sox fan. I don't know if you've you've got that yet or not, based on my Tanner Howe comments, but uh, things are it's becoming a disaster. That's kind of besides the point. Jaron Duran has not provided the impact that many Boston fans were hoping for, and certainly the team. He did have a homer the other night. It only went like 356 feet, but it was a little bit of a rocket. I mean, it left the building quickly. When it only goes 356 feet, it has to leave quickly. <laughs> right. It's not just not up in the air. No, okay, long. fair. Yeah, all right. No, that's that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. But the rest of season, you know, I, it's too early to make a judgment in terms of deeper leagues, but should fantasy players be holding tight or, or should they be cut? In a redraft league, I think he's an easy cut, especially if there's a better option on the wire that's providing you something. So yeah, I wouldn't be hesitant to cut him at all, but long-term, yes, still believe. No question about that. I think that we've seen so many prospects come up and struggle this year. So it's hard to make a judgment call. And also so many guys killing AAA as well. It's it's tough to to give a good judgment call. But I think one of the most notable things that I've seen with Duran is that you know, the swing change, obviously, last year, which unlocked more power, getting the ball in the air more. And in AAA, he had a 36.3% ground ball rate, and that has gone back up to 54.8% so far over 53 plate appearances in Boston. So he's got to get the ball in the air more. Biggest thing is just the line drives, either a ground ball or fly ball right now for him. And his fly balls just aren't carrying out. I mean, it's all run to fly ball rates, actually 20%, which is pretty interesting, but you know, it's a small sample. So it's hard to really make a lot out of these, you know, ratios here, but yeah, he'll be fine long-term, but redraft, I have no problem moving on. Pete, I spent way too much. I don't remember which league it was. It's one of the one of the pitcherless leagues that you and I are in. And I spent way too much on him in fab. And now I'm having the same discussion <laughs> with myself of like, all right, do I just bail on him even though I wasted half my budget on this guy? And I'm I'm very sad about it. I was really, really hoping that this conversation <laughs> would go a different direction and I would start to feel justified <laughs> I in what apologize. I did. I think I just I think I just messed that one up. Well, the, the looming return of Schwarber is definitely going to cause some concerns. I think it would have been nice if they could have take his, taken his time with the rehab so that he could get some more experience at first base. But now he's kind of being I, – I feel like he's going to be rushed back to make an impact. I don't worry about necessarily health-wise because I don't think they do it if they were worried about his health. But if he can't hack it at first base because he didn't get a lot of minor league reps, then that could be bad news for Duran. Either way – I, in keeper leagues, I'd, I'd hold tight. And, and Chad, because you brought up the the pitcher list leagues, this is my official declaration that please put them on ESPN next year because Yahoo is just the, it's just the worst. Or better yet, we have Chris here. Put them on fan tracks. Just not Yahoo. Please not Yahoo. Closing up that Duran conversation, particularly because those are those guys in deep leagues, maybe in really deep leagues. Maybe Chad's going to have to make a decision like this where the free agency is a little bit thin. We've got Jesus Sanchez. He's cleared COVID protocols. He's on his way back. He had an extremely hot start to his minor league season this year. I think he he fell off a lot of people's radars and then just started destroying the ball at AAA. Like, you know, like Chris said, like many players were. And he, was, he, he wasn't a disaster at the major league level like this, this year like he was last year. So with him returning rest of season, do we want Jaron Duran or Jesus Sanchez? Oh, that's actually pretty tough. I do think I lean Sanchez. I think there's just a better opportunity for playing time and getting those at-bats, as you just mentioned, with Schwarber coming back. I think it's highly possible Duran loses some at-bats there, especially if he's still struggling. And you know, Sanchez is going to get every opportunity. Yeah, no one's blocking him. There's no one that can take his spot. and He should have a decent lineup placement, honestly, so... He's one that's kind of a big boomer bust play, but yeah, I'm willing to take that chance, especially knowing the the lineup context and, and his chances to to play every single day. Yeah, I think that playing time is the, is the big difference there, right? I think they're both 
high risk, high reward plays. But if if Duran doesn't turn around pretty quickly, I mean, Pete, you were you were complaining before we got started about Boston's play of late oh, and the direction things have been going. He's not going to have a long leash, right? They they need to start winning games, and if he's struggling. I don't even think like they're not even going to put him on the bench and play him part-time. They're going to send him back down to AAA and let him work some stuff out if that's what they need to do. Whereas I think the Marlins are going to you know, like they're doing with Brinson, like they're doing with some others. They're going to throw Sanchez in the outfield and say, have a fun next 50 games. We'll see you in the off season. <laughs> like <laughs> do what you can. And we'll, we'll talk about it later. Which from a fantasy perspective, being on the field matters a ton. You can only do so much if you're not in the field. Agreed. And, and since we are, you know, keeper league focused, Real quick, keeper league formats. Where do we have Duran versus Sanchez? We go on Duran, we go on Sanchez. If you had to pick one, I'll take Duran by a pretty good margin. Uh, I don't think it's particularly close long term. Yeah, but you know that this That's what I like season, to hear. like I said, the at bats matter more than than anything. But long term, it's definitely Duran. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that at all, especially with the speed. So the last of our strugglers. This maybe doesn't even add up because hopefully Kelnick is now beginning to turn around. He just homered. He didn't just homer, but he did homer today, two for three. Good to see. But Chad, Jared Kelnick is going into yesterday's games. He's seven for 27, 259 over his last 27 at-bats with two home runs, nine RBI, just six strikeouts. That's really what stood out to me, just a 19% K rate. It's obviously a small sample size. Long-term, no one's changed their their value. You're you're not going to – if you buy low on Jared Kelnick in Dynasty or Keeper, then you have hosed someone. Right. I mean, like, like that's, that's what happened, but short term, you know, looking, looking a little bit short term, maybe you got him in your keeper league and you're like, ah, he's struggling. What are you doing with him? Are you benching him for a a lower outfielder, a guy who doesn't have that long-term potential, or are you just going to hope he's starting to get hot? I I think this comes down to league depth kind of question, right? So in, in auto new leagues where I've got a 40 man roster, like I've, I've got him on, maybe I'm just one of my auto new rosters, but I haven't started him except when my other outfielders are have days off and stuff. Like he's just not in my lineup right now for the last few days has been kind of a disaster. And now I regret it. Maybe I'll change my mind about that. But I think in a deeper league, he's been an easy bench for now, even though I haven't changed my view on him long-term. And I do think this is just sort of him adjusting and he'll be fine in a shallower league. Like I'm in a keeper league where we have 25 man rosters. We basically have five bench spots. Two of those bench spots are usually pitchers. Two or three of them are usually pitchers, which means I've got two, maybe three bench spots on offense. Like, Kelnick, if he's on my roster, he's playing. There's no, there's no question he's going to have to play some percentage of the time. And I'm not willing to drop him in that league because I think his long-term value is way too high to give up on just because I need some help right now. I'm more likely, if I'm in a shallower keeper format and I've got Kelnick and his, you know, let's say this, this hot streak doesn't continue and he's really starting to pull down my team, I'm more likely to trade him, but I'm not selling low. Like I'm trading him as, you know, the number one or number two prospect in baseball. And I expect that value back for him. And I might make that trade in order to get somebody who helps me win this year, if that's the situation my team is in. But I'm not giving up on him. I'm not dropping him. And if he's on my roster and I've only got a couple bench spots, then I'm going to play him when I have to play him because what else am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 with Kelnick, it really is just a tough position. And this question sounds a little bit ridiculous right now because he started to turn it around. And when a player with this much pedigree and this much hype, even shows a, a shred of, of of producing, then all of a sudden you have to you, you just get him in your lineup and plug and play. But he has been 
for stretches this year, so absolutely horrible. And I don't need to tell the people that have been rostering him that they know that, that like he's been borderline unplayable. So I still find him a little bit risky rest of season, but keeper leagues, Chris, his value hasn't changed, right? Nah, it's, it's still sky high. And if it's, if someone that rosters him has dropped their value on him, then you got to go get him <laughs> right now. You can buy any bit low on him. You do it. Cause I still think he's elite. And I think one of the biggest factors is that we don't talk about often is like the mental aspect of it and the same thing with duran it's the same thing with wander these guys come up and every all the fans expect them to be like the saviors like duran was going to come up and be the leadoff hitter for the Sox. it was going to help save their season and, and lead them to that al east uh championship the same with kelnick he was going to come up and just be the savior for seattle immediately and that's just such a heavy weight to carry for these young prospects and you know with kelnick coming up and hitting the lead off his first game like i don't know I think that factors a lot into it. And, you know, there's things that he has to work out. And Kilnick's also adjusted back to an older swing. So he made a swing change a while back, and he's back to an older swing. Hands are a little lower. He's making better contact against high fastballs, which is a big thing for him. And that was what he was getting exploited with early in the season. And now he's hitting those a lot better. And I, I think he gets back on track. And I just think that mental aspect's a big thing. So we saw the demotion there. He worked out some things. He's, He's performing a little better. He's not performing well by any means coming back, but maybe Duran needs the same thing like we've talked about where he goes down, just gets his confidence back and comes back up and, and kills it next year. So it's tough to to value these guys like rest of season because they could go either way. But, you know, long-term the outlook doesn't change on a small major league sample. Yeah, Chad, that's something we've talked about in the past that, you know, especially recently over the last two years, and I wonder how much of it has to do with the lack of minor league season last year that like – Highly touted prospects just haven't really performed. So definitely, definitely be patient. I want to now focus as we transition the show onto guys who are performing very well. And one of them was one of these prospects who was worse than Kelnick was last year, right? I mean, probably. His K rate was like like 90%. Not that it literally was, but it was awful. But Chris Joe Adele is up and he had an awesome first game back. He had another hit today. So he did have a 29% K rate, though, at AAA this season. And and that was in over 300 plate appearances. And that caught my attention because Ks have been what's played to him. And I know that had come down, right? It was it was up around like 38% or something like that over a month ago. So he's clearly cut down on the Ks. How are you feeling about him rest of season? Going forward, who would you compare his ceiling to? Oh, man, that's another tough one. He's just been so up and down. And like one of the players has like the some of the best tools and all of minor league baseball. And, you know, he was obviously a top five prospect at one point. He, he graduated off list last year. I know some still continued to rank him because of the service time things last year changed for prospect status, but, you know, we can still think about him in that light where he was still young. He came up last year and really struggled. He had a 40, near 42% strikeout rate last year in the big leagues. And he just didn't have it. I mean, that's brutal. I do think strikeouts are going to be a part of his game. It just always will be. He's always been a guy with a pretty high K rate. If he can keep it below 30%, I do think it's manageable. But you look what he did in AAA. I mean, 23 home runs over 339 plate appearances, stole eight bags. The strikeout rate, like you mentioned, came down a lot. Batting average came up with that. So I, I think that there's definitely pause for him to be a solid player the rest of the season. I mean, it's not like the Angels are playing for too much right now i mean they're surprisingly near 500 but with their division they're pretty much out of it so he can just kind of do his thing 
and keep performing, I hope, and just run with this. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out because, you know, he's had a solid couple games. Hopefully his confidence is there. Again, we t- I mentioned it again, I think confidence with these young guys is huge. And it's important to remember he's just turned 22 years old earlier this year. So still very young, debuted last year at 21. So still plenty of opportunity for him to get it back together. And like I said, if the hit tool, if the hit tool gets to at least average, man, he's you know, plus speed, potential double plus raw power. Like all the tools are there to be a really solid player, especially for fantasy purposes. So I'm definitely encouraged by what I saw in AAA and even the couple short stints we've seen here in the major leagues, just a couple games since being called up. But we'll see if this continues. The The rest of the season outlook, man, he could go either way. You know, he could bomb out or or be solid, have solid production for you. But long term, I still think this is a guy that could be an extremely valuable fantasy player. And I think, you know, his his last month from basically July 2nd through August 1st, his last month in AAA, he had a 23.7% strikeout rate over that month. The reason I point that out, and you guys have already mentioned that his strikeout rate was improving. The reason I point that out, though, is I think sometimes we forget that guys need time to adjust, right? It takes them, it takes time to get used to facing a new level of pitching and to all that. And, and I think what we saw from Adele is even after all the time he had spent in, in AAA, both last year, or sorry, in 2019, and then this year, it took him a while to get that strikeout rate down where it needed to be for the Angels to give him another shot. When it spikes again, and I think it will, like I think he's going to have a nice high strikeout rate for a while here. Don't write him off. Don't assume that that's just who he is and who he's always going to be. I think you're right that strike like he's never going to be a low strikeout guy. It's just not the way he's he's built as a baseball player, but. If he's, you know, if he's at 32, 33, 34% the rest of the year this year, don't assume that means he won't be at 25, 26, 27% at some point next year, because he will develop over time. He'll adjust to major league pitching. Pitchers will adjust to him. Like it'll go back and forth, but it's, I think a really positive sign when you see a guy take a problem area like that, clearly get told by his team that he needs to go work on it. And then he does, and he brings that strikeout right down, and he earns his way back up. And I'd be watching for that for a similar pattern with him in, in MLB. I mean, he's a very—he's got all the tools you look for in a prospect. And obviously, the strikeouts are going to get in the way. But I, I want to give our managers out there some hope. So those guys who are in those, you know, twelve-team, eight, nine, ten-keeper leagues, who are looking at Joe Adele, and they're like, ah. You know, it's a little bit of a gamble. I probably should keep him, but I could keep this other player who's more reliable. Give me a ceiling in comparison for Joe Adele that would tell you, like, this is why you should keep Joe Adele because his ceiling is blank. And I know, like, if you watch the NBA draft, having <laughs> comparing ceilings is sometimes ridiculous. They're like, yeah, this 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 kid's floor is Brian Scalabrini, but his ceiling is Michael Jordan. It's like, oh, thank you. That's very, very helpful. But Chad, Chris, do we have a ceiling for for Joe Adele to compare him to? Because I think the skill set is just so elite. I struggle with like straight up like player comp comparisons, but I would say like from a number standpoint, I think he's got like 35 home run upside, 15 stolen base. So like that's pretty intriguing from a fantasy perspective. If you can go 35, 15, and I don't think the batting average will be as bad as people expect. Like probably like a 260 to 270 hitter, but when you're when you have the upside to go 35, 15, 
you know, you can take that. You can eat a little bit of batting average. And and that's even like a better, that's like way better than league average. And I think we fail to realize that. And I know like in fantasy, we don't roster like every single player in the major league, but like the league average, league batting average is like, you know, like 240 something this year. So, you know, Adele's definitely got a ton of upside. This may be, this may be a little bit of a lazy comp because he is literally right next to Adele, but Justin Upton, career 263 hitter. I like that. Has put up a 35-14 season, not quite 35-50, but 35 home runs, 14 stolen bases. He's stolen 20 before. He's had a couple of their 30-30-plus home run seasons. That seems like, I mean, right down to the fact that, like, top prospect who's yes. struggled with high strikeout rates and, you know, you look at him, most of his career, he's been, he's had a couple of seasons where he brought that strikeout rate down under 20, but for the most part, he's been in the mid to upper twenties with his strikeout rate. He puts up a lot of power. He steals some bases. So I think if you're looking, you know, if you're looking for a Dell for a ceiling, it's sort of think of Justin Upton's best years, I, I think is probably where my head is. Yeah. That's great. I, I, Chad's comparisons are always like, <laughs> chef's kiss like the, the that is an excellent excellent comp so chad i'm gonna turn it back over to you after that excellent comparison and, and, and go to one of the older rookies in the league i think he still has rookie eligibility i'm never good with that it's like it's 60 at bats but do they all i i don't know 60 plate appearances maybe whatever the case may be eric haas i'm pretty sure is a rookie he's old for one he's 28 years old but he spent some time within your cleveland organization so i'm assuming you have some feelings towards him I mean, over his last 99 plate appearances, go, this is going into yesterday's games. I apologize for the stats. I'm, I, I'm blowing up my bathroom, but we don't need to go down that that road. Nine home runs and an OPS over 900 from the catcher position. Is he a target of yours going forward? Catcher's so tough. He's got this like 70-grade raw power. What are your thoughts on Eric Haas? I mean, I think what we're seeing from Haas right now is peak Haas. Like this is the best he can do. Because he is all he he's not going to walk a lot. He is going to strike out a lot. He's going to have a low on base percentage. He's not going to run high BABIPs. Like, but if he continues to mash the ball and put up a twenty five to thirty percent home run per fly ball rate, he's going to put up some good numbers. I think his fantasy value going forward depends in large part on how the Tigers use him. Because if he continues to be an outfielder with catcher eligibility and he's playing regularly in the outfield in addition to being a catcher occasionally. And we got a couple of guys like that now, right? Like Dalton Varsho is looking like he might be that kind of guy in Arizona. Like those guys are huge, huge value, especially in shallower leagues where you can't carry multiple catchers, right? Like we talked about those, those Yahoo leagues we're playing in and the pitcherless leagues. And like you get one catcher. So if your catcher has a day off, you just don't have a catcher that day because you're never going to carry two catchers. There's not enough depth to do it. Well, if he's playing basically every day, that's that's huge. And so I think the challenge with him is like the average is going to be low. The on-base percentage of your on-base league is going to be low. And if the home run per fly ball rate starts to drop or the strikeout rate starts to climb, he's going to be out of a job pretty quickly. I really like him. I've got him in a couple of teams now. I'm I'm riding this as long as it goes. He is not a guy though that I think of as part of my long-term plans in most of those leagues, right? In an auto new league where I've got him for a dollar or two and I can keep him for three or four bucks next year, I probably will because a backup catcher for three, four bucks is a totally great piece to have, even if he isn't very good. And there's a possibility he's worth a whole lot more than that. 
in leagues that are a little bit shallower, fewer keepers. I, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't believe that he can maintain what he's been doing. I mean, you look at some of his past numbers and this is, you know, this is him putting on the the best he can do over an extended period of time. And I just don't know that he can continue it very long. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually starting him in a 12 team redraft league at catcher just because what a hot streak he's been on. And that's kind of the mess that catcher is. So it's one of those situations where I think you just ride the hot streak and, you know, take all you can from him, but, know that it's likely going to fall apart when it does, you know, don't be afraid to cut bait with them and just find the next one. It's definitely been a theme of keeper cut is we just, we ride the hot catcher. We don't, we don't invest much. And when we find one that's hot, just hold on to them and cut them when the time comes. Chris focus on a pitcher now. And I, I, I got to take a blame for this one. I pretty, I'm pretty sure I just like ruined this guy's career. Tyler McGill was awesome. Like, un, like unbelievable. And then I traded for him in a keeper league. And that night he he exploded against the Marlins of all teams. So how do you view him? Like, give me some hope here. Convince me that first of all, it wasn't my fault. And second of all, like rest of season, long term, what are we looking at with Tyler McGill? Because I had no idea who this guy was until he got called up. He's been one of the biggest surprises, I'd say, of of the year with how phenomenal he's been and with how rookies have struggled so badly. He's been one of the few bright spots, even even with that blow up start, you know, still has a two six eight ERA. One two two whip, his strikeout rate just north of twenty five percent. The walk rate is six point six percent. So it's all things you like to see. You know his swinging strike rate is a little low, which does give me some pause about the strikeout rate. But even still, you look back at you know Triple A this year, just fourteen innings, fifteen point three percent swinging strike rate, and at Double A, you know over twenty six innings, eighteen point eight percent swinging strike rate. So the strikeouts, I think, could be sustainable. Like he's definitely a guy that could be north of of twenty five percent, which is you know, pretty solid and you look at his minor league numbers and they're solid across the board and just look at him as a guy it's like man he was someone who I think made tangible change last year and I think this happened a lot when with guy with minor leaguers that we didn't see last year someone like Tyler McGill made a change that clicked and really worked and then he came into the season just killing it and you know the one bad start yeah you know, I'm willing to write off with him I do think that he comes back around It'll be interesting to see because you look at you know, his batted ball metrics are really good. Like he doesn't get hit hard at all. All the contact metrics are really good. Like his his XBA, X slug, X woba are all like, you know, top of the league good. Doesn't get barreled very much at all. I think the biggest concern right now is just the lack of whiffs that he generates. But even still, you know, I think he'll be fine. Velo's good on his fastball. The spin rates are a little low, but you know, you can get away with that. So when you when you generate the kind of like weak contact that he does I think he's going to be fine you know all the metrics look really good and supportive of of what he's done so far and color me impressed because I never saw this coming for him and he's been a stud so I think this continue I wouldn't expect him to be like a sub three ERA type guy but you know he can be a solid like sp3 I think so one of the things I always do with players that I don't know a lot about is I go look at what their projections are because the projections give me a sense of like, if all I knew is the numbers, if I don't have a lot of the other details. Like what's a baseline that I can think of. And usually for guys like McGill, who seem to come out of nowhere, the projections are like ERA of 5.73 or something like that. Right. His projections across the board are either high threes for ERA and FIP or low fours from zips, from steamer, from the bat. So 
I look at that and it's like, okay, there's actually something underlying just the numbers, right? Then you add in what Chris was talking about, which is he went away for a year where we didn't get to see him. We didn't know what he was doing. And he apparently made some changes that have really clicked for him and really worked for him. The projection systems don't know that, right? They know the results of that, but they don't know the narrative behind that. And so all of a sudden you start to look at those projections and think, huh, maybe there's reason to believe he can beat those projections. And that's really intriguing to me because the numbers are already good. So I, th- I feel like I was a little late to the Tyler McGill show. I'm not sure I can. It's almost like if you don't have him on your rosters now, you're probably not going to get him. And so I think I'm sort of stuck without any of them. But uh, I'm disappointed in that. And if I if I had him, I'd be pretty happy. If if I thought I could trade for him, I, I probably would because I think he he looks like he's legit. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting trade that I made. I basically had. I needed pitching, so I, you know, it's only a three keeper, so none of these guys are going to be kept. I gave up Dalton Varsho and Jaron Duran. Uh, Dar- Varsho at that time was like it was like peak Varsho. He'd homered four straight games for Tyler McGill. His next outing is against the Phillies, who are obviously be- better offensively than the Marlins, and Bryce Harper swinging the bat pretty well. So I'd be interested to see how he bounces back. But you guys have both given me hope that my trade was not not a disaster. So. Chris, we, we kind of want to turn it over to you here. So normally we end the show with the out new question of the day, and we're still going to do that. But we want to ask you basically two questions to just talk to the people and, and, and give them some information here, help them out, and, and help me out as well here. So who is a name or multiple names, if, if you want to talk about a couple guys, that you think could help out fantasy players this season that you think we could stash, like maybe under-the-radar names that are that are going to help out fantasy owners going forward? You know, that's that's been a big question all year about you know stashing prospects and it's been tough because you know a lot of the big names have come up and so kind of question like who is that next one and there's not like a clear obvious one you know for a while I thought or you know before the season I would have said like Jeter Downs was definitely one that I thought would help the Red Sox but he's really struggled and you know I've always been a Downs fanboy I've always been really high on him so it's been tough on me and I know for you as a Red Sox fan, especially, it's probably been tough as well. But one name that I do think has a chance to make a big impact, the only caution I have is the organization that he's with, and that's Josh Lowe with Tampa Bay. I don't know how they'll use him, how they'll fit him in, but you know it's hard to really ignore what he's done. And he's been a, another prospect that I've been on for a while and just you know waiting on him to come around. And in 2019, you know he had a pretty big year, not nearly what he's done this year in AAA. He's you know, 299 plate appearances, basically 300 plate appearances. Already hit 15 home runs, stole 16 bags. He's hitting 278, which you know you look in his minor league career numbers, and they're well below 250. So hit tool has improved. He's striking out less. His walk rate, he's a guy that's going to be on base a lot. He has walk rates north of 10% you know, consistently. So high OBP type guy, especially if you play in that, that context, I think he can – really contribute there. So the power speed combo is very legit. I just question like how much they'll use him. And I don't know, but you know, I don't think we see like Bobby Witt, Vidal Brujan could come back up and, but again, he struggled as well. So I wonder if they just kind of leave him alone and leave him down. So there's not like a lot of obvious names at this point, but I would say that Lowe is definitely one that, you know, his possible, that's the thing I struggle because there's not like a clear guy that I'm stashing or that I think's worth stashing, but Lowe's one I think that has that chance to come up 
and be a solid bat. From the pitching standpoint, I would say probably Edward Cabrera with Miami. We know he's come back from injury. He's looked pretty good in AAA, so hopefully these trends continue. I think we could definitely see him come up and provide some help there for that Miami rotation. You know, they're like I mentioned, they're just kind of giving people run, seeing what they've got, and I think Cabrera is ready to give it a, a run and see what he can do. So those two would be names I think definitely could provide some value. But right now, it's just a weird landscape of, of prospects and you know, what they could really provide. Could I throw a name at you that? I'm curious to know what you think of him as a stash that I could help this year. Yeah. Total Homer pick here, but Nolan Jones thoughts on Nolan Jones, man. I've always been such a Nolan Jones guy. And another one, he's like Jeter downs where I've always loved him. Always been high on him. And this year has been rough. I mean, definitely looking better. He's definitely been better as of late, but to start the season, man, just absolutely brutal. Another one that I think really plays up in OBP leagues. And I really think his biggest flaw is just his passiveness. You look, and he's always a big strikeout guy, but that's not the type of hitter he is. He's just too patient at the plate. He works very deep into counts, and that hurts him. When you get in those two-strike counts a lot because you're waiting, and you're walking a lot. I mean, he his walk rates are insane. This year, I mean, 14.1% walk rate. He's been up in the 20% range. He was in 2019 in low, a 20.1% walk rate. Just insane numbers. But I do think that is his biggest flaw, just working too deep into counts. I would love to see him come up and succeed. I mean, they have uh, uber roster spots like he could come up and take a third base. I know they've worked him in the outfield. I'd love to see him get a shot, but I don't know. I don't know if he comes up or not. I'm willing to take a chance if he does come up that he could hit because there's some massive raw power in the profile. And if you're an OVP league especially, you know, that really plays up. It's interesting. He stole seven bags this year. He's not really like a, a speed guy by any means, but, you know, I take – minor league steel numbers with a grain of salt. He's just not, he's not really a runner, but you know, the power is intriguing there. And if he does come up, definitely willing to take a chance, but yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything of any speculation of him coming up, but you know, you never say never. It's definitely a, d- a difficult time to ask that question. I, mean, I, I basically, what I was asking Chris is like, Hey, win my league for me, which is a difficult, difficult question to ask, uh, especially at this <laughs> point in the year, but I love the names you threw out there. And I was really glad you threw out Vidal Brion as like a potential, like, he could come back up. Now, Nelson Cruz plugging up DH, I think, hurts hurts both Lowe and Bruyon's chances, yeah. obviously, right? But I I don't know. Bruyon is the perfect type of player that I target because I feel like people got super cold on him, and now they're like, no, he's dead to me, and I he still has that immense talent, right? Like that 60 future value grade. So this question, I think, is a, is maybe a little bit more doable, and I, I'm definitely interested in your, your response. <laughs> For keeper leagues, who can I pick up now? that no one will care about when I do, but will be on everyone's radar as off-season content publishes. We just got a few lists, like Baseball America, right, came out with their top 100 prospects for the second half. You know, you guys are always producing stuff. So is there someone who you're like, oh, this guy's going to climb up rankings the next time a, a massive amount of rankings come out, most likely this off-season? Who is it that you're like, he's he's definitely going to torpedo up rankings? Are you looking for just like a 2022 ETA, like what could help you next year? Just yeah. Prospect rise. Sure, yeah, I, I mean, I'd say in general, but if somebody that could help in 2022, that's even better. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like, it's it's the perfect time, like, you're in a keeper-type league to be able to to acquire some guys like that where they can help you. Maybe you're out of it this year. You can go out and get a couple guys really cheap that could provide some great value for you next season. 
And you know, I'll stick in Cleveland and go with Tyler Freeman, who I think is a very solid prospect, but not, doesn't get a ton of love. And you know, James Anderson at Roto Wire has been very high on him for a long time. But outside of that, I don't really think he gets the love that he deserves. He's an elite hitter. I know there's questions about the power. There was some power development last year at the alt site, but he hasn't really put that into games yet. But I'm not particularly worried about it because you know he's just a pure hitter. He's one that I think should get a chance to play next year. And I think it's pretty affordable to acquire right now in a trade because there's not a lot of love there. Uh, Josh Young with Texas is one. They're, they're an organization that I think should give the young guys a shot to play. I don't think we see him this year, but he's one that could continue to rocket up rankings. He's, you know, he's 23, he's in double A right now, but he's very developed and he's more than ready for some time in the big leagues. You just watch him and he's very polished. And I think he'll be one that surprises a lot of people this year. That's not like overly high on prospects list and look for a kind of a long shot. I'm trying to look through my list just to see, you know, kind of a, a deeper league guy that I think could, surprise some people uh an organization that just develops pitchers is the dodgers and i know this it's the dodgers way just to go out and buy pitchers <laughs> but i think ryan pepiot could come up and surprise a lot of people and he's been very very good this year performed like a stud across the board and he's 23 years old i think he's ready for a chance it just concerns me because organization organization could just go by whoever they want as we've <laughs> seen them you know get max scherzer recently they'll just you know they have a problem they'll plug it with money so it's tough but i do think that's kind of a, a dart throw that could be a really solid arm for you nice i'm glad you mentioned tyler freeman because after you just said some some not so nice things about Nolan you were never going to be invited back. He's like, talk down Jeter Downs, talk down Nolan Jones, and Pete and I are like, cross him off the list. But you got some Tyler Freeman love, so I'm I'm good with you now. I appreciate that. Yeah, I had to, I had to do it for you. That is that is awesome. So we're now gonna gonna look at our Ot new question of the day. Chris, do you play any Ot new? I have actually never played in the Ot new league. The format seems pretty awesome. I need to try it. So that's something on my to-do list. Nice. But I've never played not. It is it is vicious. It is it is cutthroat, man. But it is a lot of fun. And so, Chad, and 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 if you do play in any salary leagues, you know, uh, Chris, please feel free to chime in. But you know, I mentioned earlier that I have Jesus Lazardo in this league, and I have a couple of names like him. Basically, I have these players who have absolutely immense upside. The three of them, I, I can name them for, for my case, but again, this is not just for me. This is for anybody in these situations where I've got Garrett Crochet, I've got Hazel Cesardo, and I've got AJ Puck. And in total, those guys are going to cost me about $30. It might actually be a, a hair over $30, which is about 8% of my entire budget. It's a lot. Um, but I'm looking, it's like, that's, that's so much upside, and my pitching is absolutely atrocious. My ace this year is like Jordan Montgomery. So it's, it's, it's a disaster. I do have some nice prospects that are, that are much cheaper than these players, but I still like these guys. So Chad, like at what point does the upside just not meet the price and, and, and you have to cut bait would you take like two of these guys and cut one? Are you saying, no, they've got all, got so much upside. I'm taking all three. What are, what are you doing in these situations? There's two questions here, two and one, right? One question is about the individual players and the other is about roster construction. Right. And so I'm sort of out on puck. And so I don't, I don't know how much I'd be willing to spend on him. I probably wouldn't keep him at all. I might 
he's a guy I'd have my eye on maybe at the end of auctions next year, depending on how spring goes for him and stuff like that. Whereas Lizardo and Crochet, I'm I'm high on. I like both those guys, and I I could see wanting to keep them. At what price? It's a tough call, right? And I think then you get into sort of individual player evaluations and how much do I think Lizardo's worth, how much do I think Crochet is worth, or any other young pitcher you're thinking about. The other question here, which is maybe more generalizable to the audience, is from a roster construction standpoint, can you actually put that much into three? Like, let's say it wasn't Puck. Let's say it was someone I was higher on and you had three guys. It was, you know, it was McKenzie, Lizardo, Crochet. Then I think you have to look at the rest of your roster and figure out whether or not that's a good use of your money. And there's there's sort of a couple different ways it could be. Like one is you build a rotation that's really good and cheap. I, I have a league right now where I'm in third place. My rotation is very solid and my most expensive pitcher is like eight or nine bucks because I intentionally built a cheap rotation. I've got a bunch of keepers out of that. And I could spend another 30 bucks on three guys with upside because the rest of my rotation is inexpensive and I still will have money left over to build the offense I want to build. The other end of the spectrum, if your team isn't going to compete anyways, betting on that upside, it makes more sense than trying to like figure out a way to claw your way back in to like the middle of the pack, right? So if your team's not going to be good, then there's nothing wrong with spending that money on the upside and figuring out where it, where it leads you because it'll put you in a better position to have more upside and to be in a better or to, to have a more competitive team the following year because you know one of those guys will pop, two of those guys will pop, and you'll be able to do something with them. If you're trying to compete and you need the money to spend to build an actual rotation, like 30 bucks in those three could be spent on an ace. And that ace is probably going to do more for you. So it sort of depends on what your situation is with your team and, and what structure you're in, as well as the individual valuations on those players. Looking at your team and knowing your team, I think you could use the upside. I, I would... I'm trying to remember, how much are you spending on Lizardo? Right now, it's $8, so it's going to go up. So it'll be 10 next year. Like, I would be keeping a $10 Lizardo next year, I think, unless the next couple months are a disaster, and we'll learn a lot, but I, I would probably be keeping him. Crochet, it probably depends on what the White Sox say between now and January when you have to make that decision. Because if he's staying in the bullpen, I'm probably going to move on because I just think you can find... I feel like in Otterdew, I can always find relievers. I don't need to pay a lot for relievers. I can always find them. So I'd probably trade him in the offseason at that point. If they say he's moving to the rotation, now I'm way more interested in keeping him because I think he's got a ton more upside as a rotation piece. And then from your roster construction, I don't know what your roster is going to look like for next year. That's that's for you to answer. <laughs> but if you end up feeling like all three of these guys are worth keeping, but you can't spend that much on three upside pitchers, shop them. Right, you have an entire off season to make trade. It's one of the one of the best parts of Auto New is that once the season is over, there's the arbitration process, and then once arbitration is over, trading's open. You can do whatever you want in the off season. I'm not real high on pucks, so don't trade them to me. So I'm not going <laughs> to give you much for them. But if you need to trade one of those guys, like I might be able to make room for eight dollar Lizardo, and there might be something I can give you that allows you to better allocate your resources across a forty man roster and a four hundred dollar budget. So you have to take a look at your roster though and figure out like if I keep these three guys and I get nothing out of them, because there's a real possibility you might get nothing out of them or nothing out of two of them or something like that. Is that going to sink my team or is that a totally acceptable outcome because I can balance that with the rest of my rotation? That's sort of the the question you just have to ask yourself and figure out. And I've seen it work and I've seen it not. I think Niv Shah is the guy who who runs auto new in our, the league I'm in where I play against him. 
he won last year with a rotation that before the season, you would have been like, man, there's a lot of risk here. And it was just awesome all year. And he won the league. He and I went with a similar strategy in a league where we're co-managers this year. And it's been an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> Every single one of the guys is either like, we bet on Sixto Sanchez. We bet on Tristan McKenzie. We bet on Nate Pearson. Oh. Our ace, like we were, and we were like, oh, we're going to be okay because we have a $7 Zach Gallon. So we'll be fine because we've got an ace anchoring this rotation. Well, that hasn't worked out. The other guys that we spent on, like Hyunjin Ryu has been fine, but not great. Plesak was a disaster for us. So like it just, it all fell apart. And in retrospect, had we taken seven of those young upside pitchers and instead bought two or three guys we could really rely on, we probably would have been more competitive. We didn't, it didn't work. And now we're taking the opposite approach, which is we are just collecting every broken risky pitcher we can during the season now because we're done anyways so let's see what happens and see which of those guys break out and put ourselves in a position to go into next year trimming away the guys who don't break out from that group and building around the ones who do how are relievers valued in Adenu? so it depends a little bit on the scoring system but Adenu points leagues which are the most common it's it's linear weights based points so you get points for innings pitch you get points for strikeouts you lose points for walks lose points for home runs but for relievers they gain points for saves and holds and so it's probably one of the more contentious things in the, the auto new universe is like how do you want to value relievers i think in in sort of raw value if i'm just being completely by the numbers a legitimate ace closer is a 25 dollars value whereas like an eight like you might spend 60 bucks on DeGrom and 50 on any other ace starter. An ace reliever is worth, you know, is worth 25. My strategic opinion is that I can find I can find enough relievers who will put up $15 of value when I only have to pay them one, that there's no reason for me to pay for Liam Hendricks or Craig Kimbrell or Raldis Chapman or someone like that. I mean, actually, Kimbrell's a great example. Like you could get Kimbrell dirt cheap a year ago. He wasn't very expensive going into seasons this year and he's been incredible. And like, I would rather bet on my ability to find a few of those guys than to pay full freight for the studs. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. So in your context, man, I think it's easy to keep Lazardo puck. Yeah. Like I said, I'm out on him completely. Yeah. If somebody in the league wants him. I trade him, but yeah, otherwise he's a cut for me. And then, like you said, with crochet, I, I still struggle to think that they drafted him that high to keep him in the bullpen. But I also thought that if they wanted him to be a starter, they would have sent him down this year to be a starter. So it's a weird spot for him. So the offseason will be interesting to see what they want to yeah, do. I think them. the Sox just found themselves in a situation where they need him right now. Yeah. Right. They've built their bullpen the way they built it. And he's an integral part of that. And my guess is if you ask their front office in March, at what point in the season do you think you send him down to get stretched out as a starter? They've been like, oh, June, July, something like that. And if you asked them again in May or June, they were like, no, the rest of our rotations really panned out. We don't really need him as a starter right now. We're going to we're gonna roll with what's working. The reality is he wouldn't be getting, like, if he went down and got stretched out now and then came back as a starter, he's not starting for them in the playoffs anyways. So what's the point? You're just going right. to send him back to the bullpen. You might as well leave him there and then let him stretch himself out over the offseason. I'm with you, though. I don't think they drafted him that high thinking he's a reliever. And I don't think, 
I was trying to think of the last time I remember a team bringing a guy up as a reliever who they thought would be a starter, and then he just never made the move back. It's like a long time ago, but Papelbon is the guy who comes to mind for me, where Boston seemingly thought he was going to be a starter, brought him up as a reliever, and he just the change just never happened. He was so good relieving. Chapman is the same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So there's a couple of guys that's happened with, but like, I don't know. We've also seen we've we've seen the White Sox do this with Chris Sale, right? Bring him up as a reliever and then yep. send him back. So, I my guess is my guess is he opens next season in their rotation. I think there's a chance he opens next season in the AAA rotation if they don't think he's quite ready yet. But my guess is he opens next season in the White Sox rotation. Well, ignoring those names individually, the biggest takeaway for me from that is is what Chad said about. You have a bunch of these guys, these you know eight, nine, ten dollar guys that have a ton of upside, and you're like, should I keep them or not? Because they really haven't performed. If you just take that money and allocate it towards one stud in the auction, that's a huge difference maker. And I think I'd much rather take that money and just buy one ace and figure it out from there. With that said, I am going to hold on to Lazardo and Crochet for sure, but that's kind of besides the point. So, excellent, folks. That that does it for for episode twenty seven. Chris, we can't thank you enough. Please, everyone, follow Chris and support his work on Fantrax. Give Fantrax Toolshed a listen if you haven't, and follow Chris at at Roto Clegg. That's with two G's. Of course, follow us as well at at Keep or Cut. You can follow Chad at at Chad Young and myself at at Pete B Baseball. Chris, did you enjoy your time here on the Keeper Cut Podcast? It was a blast. Thank you guys so much. It was an honor to join you guys. Awesome. Enjoy the conversation. For sure. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And we'll be sure to have him back. Folks, we will see you next week.